spray the ball, baby. Let's go. This is Inside the Pac-12 Podcast. Put on a pair of your headphones and fall back. Listen to some ball cats. Just having the ball chat. About the best conference in the nation. All facts. This is truly for the hoop lovers. Yeah, who running and gunning and getting buckets? How about we discuss it? The Trojans, Huskies, Ducks, the Cardinals, then the Cougars. Bears, Beavers, Sun Devils, Cats, and Bruins. The Buffaloes and Utes, I won't ever forget. Got insight, opinions, and plenty of special guests. Coaches and players, beat writers and insiders. Uh-huh. Old and young, Pac-12 legends and alums. Yeah. Death analysis, we go far beyond the scores. Uh-huh. We take you from conference play all the way to the final four. With some hoop kind of sores, just walking you through the game. Now here's your host, Mike Gam and the boy Don McLean. Hey. All right, it is another wild week of Pac-12 basketball. Don, it is our job. I'm actually going to rephrase what our, our job is supposed to be. I would have argued it is, it was to watch the games, have intelligent thoughts and commentary about the games, project out on what we think is going to happen. I think three of those four things we will try to do, but to try to guess what the hell is happening in this conference I think is completely impossible after what we have consistently seen in league play and especially over the weekend. Yeah, we have one three-loss team left. If you you want any sort of... uh any snapshot of what the league has been like, we have one three-loss team. And if you would have said um, before the season started, okay, we're 11 games in, give or take a game, you know, what's what's the leading team in the, in the conference's record going to be? I don't think any of us would have said that somebody would, would have three losses and they'd be leading the conference. So that just speaks to how competitive it's been. It speaks to how improved the league is from last year. And I think what it really speaks to is the bottom of the conference. Like our expectation of Cal, Washington State, and UCLA weren't very high. And they've done way better than we thought. And so what I found myself saying a lot this past weekend with you in studio on Thursday and then at the Oregon-Oregon State game Saturday was, you know, there is no nights off. There's no nights off in the league this year. And if you want to get what you want to get, which is a regular season conference title or get yourself into the NCAA tournament or just get yourself some, some momentum heading into next year, you got to be on your toes, man, and you better come to play or you will get beat. A lot of different ways to look at what we saw over the weekend. You mentioned uh, the top of the conference. Colorado right now sits at 8-3. and three. By the way, um, Oregon, you were at that matchup in uh, Corvallis, the Civil War. Trace Tinkle is going to be on the show with us uh, tomorrow. So every single mm-hmm. week we talk to a player or a coach or a special guest. And uh, tomorrow on the podcast, Tinkle's going to be with us. We'll get you a snapshot of that interview. Don, I know a little bit later in the show you want to preview his chances of being an NBA pro. So that's yep. still to come, not to mention we got story time. Uh, and, of course, if you uh, – are listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. See it on social media. Share it there. Subscribe, rate, and review is what I like to say. Let's start at the top, though. Uh, Colorado, 8-3, and three, uh, now the highest-ranked team in the conference. They sit 16th in the country. Oregon, because of the loss against Oregon State, actually dipped to now 17th. Um, I- I'm going to start there because there is so much made on social media, and if you watch the game, you certainly could understand why. Um, Oscar Da Silva 
kind of getting run over there and in a basketball. It wasn't anything intentional or malicious from Evan Batty in that basketball game, but um, some scary moments, obviously, for the Stanford community for both uh, the, the CU basketball community, and I thought there was a great response. McKinley Wright going to social media, saying he had an opportunity after the game to talk to Oscar De Silva. Stanford did release some news and an update Sunday where they indicated that Oscar's doing okay, that uh, he's going to continue to seek medical treatment, uh, but we don't know about when he's going to be on the floor next. Didn't look like it's going to be something that's going to end his season. But when he takes the hit, he, he lands and he doesn't move for a while. The best thing that we saw there, Dom, was the fact that he stood up and he walked off the court on his yeah. own, on his own two feet, which is a win because we didn't well, initially when you're watching that game. And I didn't see it live; I had heard about it, and, and obviously I wasn't in studio on Saturday, so Sunday I spent a lot of time uh, rewatching or at least watching basketball games. And it, it looked it looked scary, but once he got up, he felt like, oh, okay, like it's it's going to be okay. Yeah, you don't see that a lot in basketball where a guy goes down, hits his head hard, there's a lot of blood. And so you understand the immediate reaction by some of the players, Dejon Davis's teammate, but also Evan Batty, who was the yeah. one who fell on top of him. And, um, you know, we're glad that Oscar was able to get up. We're glad that, that we've heard that it sounds like he's going to be okay. I hope it doesn't end his season because he's having a terrific season for Stanford. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, I guess – what, what was great to see was both teams come together in that moment. And, you know, J.B. Long, our colleague, who I've done a lot of games with, and I talked to you this morning, had a great thought on this about Evan Batty because some would say it was, it was such a huge reaction that Batty had. And you wonder if maybe, you know, um, Evan Batty's own struggles health-wise and, and him being not able to play for a couple of years with his heart problem had something to do with his reaction to Oscar Da Silva. Um, we don't know that. I haven't asked Evan that, but I have a feeling maybe it it did. Um, but again, it was great to see both teams come together um, in the heat of battle. You know, that was a big game in Boulder. Um, unfortunately, I think it changed the course of the game, that injury, not having De Silva really hurt Stanford. Um, but those things happen. Injuries are a part of basketball. And I was telling you before we started this, Yam, I've seen – Guys come down from a jump shot and their foot's pointing the wrong way. I've seen guys bang their head on the ground and like multiple times. And you you hope it doesn't happen, but unfortunately in sports it does. But again, at the end of the day, we're glad that that De Silva seems to be okay and that he'll hopefully get back to the court soon. All right, you bring up the basketball part of this. Handicap this for me. Colorado, we've loved up. But before we get to them, Stanford, where again, I, I – I think they would have, and it doesn't matter what I think would have happened because they lost right. that game, but if Oscar plays, maybe they, they win there and they get a road split, which, by the way, would, once again, I use this phrase, and I don't mean it in a demeaning way, these are the most Pac-12 things ever when a team like Stanford can go on the road, lose to Utah, and then we both think if, if De Silva stays healthy, they win against Colorado. I mean, this is happening constantly in the conference. We've talked about it on the podcast, but they get swept on the road. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the committee, when they sit there and they evaluate, obviously they'll take into, the, uh, into consideration the injury from De Silva and the fact that it was another double-digit lead that this team mm-hmm. had in the game. I just I don't know where this puts Jared Hass's squad. This is part of story time, so it's that's a preview that it's not going to be as much a story as it is a thought. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Stanford's got to regroup, but a lot's going to depend on if the Silva can play this week. They have the Arizonas. Arizona State's as hot as anybody in the conference right now. Arizona needs to get back on track after losing to UCLA at home. But a lot of it's just going to depend on whether De Silva can play. Um, you know, they're safely in the NCAA tournament right now based on what they did in the non-con. Their net was the highest of anybody in our conference when the first net rankings came out. But they got to win some games now. You know, it, it looked like they were a lock early in the conference season, but they've hit hit a skid here a little bit. But they can really spin it back around if they can get the home sweep this weekend. Um, against Arizona State on Thursday, I believe, and then Arizona on Saturday. Um, but again, a lot's going to depend on De Silva. All right, I sound like an apologist here, and I, I don't mean to, but you and I have talked about Oregon as the best team in this conference. They're behind CU. I'm going to give credit to Colorado, but here's where the excuse lies. Oregon, and you called the game for us on Pac-12 Network, decimated in the front court. They are not, that that team just wasn't, completely healthy so I don't know is is Colorado the standings will tell you the rankings will tell you CU right now is is the team that's the better basketball team I are they though uh, okay if we're talking about inconsistency which is what we're talking about you started it let's go back to last year Mike and which team won the Pac-12 regular season title Washington why experience so we come into this year why is everybody so high on Colorado experience everyone back and I think that's starting to play out and I think these last six seven eight games however many you have left as a team I think Colorado's experience is going to overwhelm this inconsistency of everybody else in the sense that they're not going to drop as many games as maybe a team that has been inconsistent is you know they're leading it they control their own destiny their schedule is not easy but I do think it to eliminate or not eliminate but be less likely to be inconsistent is probably the experienced team. And we saw it last year with Washington. Was Washington the best team last year in terms of roster talent? I don't think so. But you kind of had a feeling they were going to win the regular season title because of their experience. And I think as I sit here on February 10th or whatever it is, I have a feeling Colorado's experience is going to be the thing this year. I think CU fans that have been listening to this podcast, and we appreciate you doing so because I know we had Tad Boyle on the other week, they got to be pissed off because here we are consistently talking about Oregon as the best team. CU now sits in front of an, oh, by the way, they have at least one of the head-to-heads. Now, they'll head to Eugene this week, and that's going to be an epic basketball game. But that matchup, Don, that's in my mind, that actually that game could decide who wins the regular season. It and that could. probably that don't you think that's that's the game? Yeah, I do. If we're talking about Colorado controlling their own destiny, now Oregon still has to go to the Arizonas. And so that may decide it later on. But I think for right now, if Colorado rises up and beats Oregon this week on the road, you have to say that they're the favorite and that they will probably continue to control their own destiny. But that's a big if. But I'm, you know, flipping it to the other side. You know, what is Oregon going to look like? They've lost two in a row now. They lost at Stanford, then they lost at OSU this past Saturday. Can they get right this week against Colorado and Utah? They're going to have to. They, If Oregon is going to is going to seriously be in the conversation to win this regular season title, they have to win both this weekend, no doubt. Because it's up to Colorado with a win against Oregon. They go up two games on the Ducks and on the tiebreaker. I mean, they beat them. 
So I right. don't have to worry about that. But I'm going back to what I had said before, the most Pac-12 thing ever. You know what happens this week for, for Colorado, right? They, they win in Eugene. They, they beat Oregon and then they lose Oregon State. State. You know that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> like I'm now at the point where I – like a week ago I would have said crazy. All season long I said that, that's not going to happen. It has happened enough in, in conference play where I know that that's going to be the end result. Okay, okay yeah, but how about this? But doesn't that default us back to what we've been saying for the last eight years? I think uh, Colorado gets a road split this week. They're like, fine, we're good. Yeah, We got a road split. Win both at home, split on the road. They won both at home last weekend. They split this week in Oregon. If they, if they go with that formula the rest of the way, they probably win the regular season title. It is. It's, it's unreal. And by the way, sticking with that assumption, take care of business at home. Remember last week on the podcast, I thought it was a really good astute observation by you because you're full of them. Is, is, <laughs> I only make great points, Jim. <laughs> I made that clear on Thursday night. Is is the fact that Arizona was, they had won three consecutive games, right? They were coming off of a, a road sweep, the first in conference. And last week on the show, you had said, hey, that could be the difference between them winning the conference or not winning it. That one mm-hmm. road sweep, because we know how dominant Arizona is at home but in the most Pac-12 fashion ever they beat USC and then they lose to UCLA at McHale who by the way I didn't even realize this till I was going through some of my prep for the show uh yesterday and that's they they've won three straight at McHale UCLA like I didn't even realize that that was shocking I didn't realize that either it's unreal to me and yet here it is I please explain how Mick Cronin was able to to get that victory because in my mind, oh, uh, another little tidbit for you, 47-year history at McHale, lowest shooting percentage ever by Arizona, 25%. Well, with those dudes? Well, let's just lump Arizona into the the conversation of inconsistent effort, attention to detail, concentration, um, importance, whatever you want to call it, but... You know, but then on the other side, let's give Mick Cronin some credit. Yeah. He's starting to he's starting to find some headway with this team. And like they're they look better defensively. I think they're starting to get some confidence offensively. I, I think those two are going hand in hand more where their defense is leading to more offense for them, easier offense. Um but a great job by Mick in the sense that he didn't lose the team. You know, he was hard on them publicly early in the conference season, early in the non con even. But he's now got them playing the way he wanted them to play in November and December, and that's defending with an attention to detail on the scouting report in the in the defensive game plan. And now they're executing it, and they're starting to win games. So a great job by then. But it goes back to what we said when we first started today, Mike, that there are no easy ones this yeah. year. So whether you're at home or on the road or whoever you're playing or what their record is or what their net ranking is, it doesn't matter this year. And if you're not ready to play – you will get beat. Arizona got beat this weekend. More sense of a panic if you are a fan of this team. Is it USC or Stanford? In terms of what? Well, Making the tournament? Yeah, because I look, for weeks now, I mean, Joe Lenardi from ESPN, his initial bracketology had five Pac-12 teams in there. I'm pretty sure it's still sitting at five right now. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I, yeah, I, it's, it it's okay. So it's three teams that we feel like are locks, right? Colorado, Oregon, Arizona. We're not worried about those teams, correct? You with me on that? Yes, I'm okay. with you on that. So I would say I'm slightly concerned about USC and Stanford. Those are two teams. By the way, I still think the league gets five in. I just don't know who 
the the fourth and fifth teams are going to be because Stanford, USC, I think are in that conversation. ASU is now playing themselves into the mix there. And oh, by the way, and I get it, they're four and seven in the conference. They're fourteen and nine overall. But Oregon State's got four Q1 wins and a net ranking of 67. The net rank ranking, at the time we're recording this podcast, does need to improve. But there are not many teams that have that that are like quote bubble squads that have four Q1 wins. I, I think the committee is going to like that and opportunities still left. I still think bottom line we get five in, but I think now we're presenting to where there's opportunity for more. Now, I'd have to go through everyone's schedule with a fine-tooth comb to figure this out, but is there a scenario where Stanford can stabilize, USC can stabilize, but yet Arizona State can continue and Oregon State can continue, and now we have seven potentially in, or even just one of those two in Oregon State, Arizona State? Can they do enough and not hurt the Stanford and the USCs of the world you know, so that they so that they don't just swap out for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, there's like, some there's some issues there only because, as you mentioned, right? I mean, Stanford's got ASU this week, so right. that would be one of those. Oregon State has the Arizona, so they'll match up there. Like, there's but, but, but here's the thing, though, yeah, I'm not to cut you yeah, off, but here's the thing, and this has become crystal clear to me. I don't know about for you, and I don't know if we talked about this on Thursday. It doesn't hurt you to lose on the road. It hurts you to lose at home. So if, if we're talking about seven getting in, or let's just say six, Arizona yeah. State being the six, I think that Arizona State, if they lose to Stanford and beat Cal, fine. But is there enough opportunities left in that scenario for them to get in? And that's what I'm saying. We'd yeah. have to go through everyone's Everyone. schedule game by game and see what it means. But I just think that, for our league, we need Stanford to stabilize. A lot will depend on De Silva and USC to stabilize. And then let's see Oregon State and Arizona State make a run. And let's see what happens. I think there's two ways of looking at USC and, and really ASU. That particular matchup explains what we've seen better than any in the conference. And what I mean by that is I'm watching the first half of that game. SC's coming off a loss uh, against Arizona, and they played they played okay. Played them tough. Yeah, they did. They did. Now, granted, they, they shot themselves in the foot and had a huge hole and were able to work themselves back, so I'll give them credit because they fought down the stretch. Mm-hmm. But Arizona deserved to win that basketball game. Against ASU, Don, I don't remember ever seeing a USC team the last couple of years be more active on the defensive side than I saw in that first half from the Trojans. They were everywhere. Uh, jumping into passing lanes, there were a ton of steals, block shots. I mean, there were multiple possessions. There was like two blocks in the one position. It was wild what you were seeing. I'm thinking to myself, all right, Andy squad, man. Like, let's go. Here we go. On the yeah. road, coming off a of loss. And then... Then you see the flip, the exact opposite. ASU couldn't hit a shot in the first half. All of a sudden, they start hitting some threes in the second half. I thought the win that they had against UCLA, ASU that is, was going to propel them. I think they had 14 threes in the game. And I go, oh, here we go. This is this ASU squad. I don't don't know if these teams can be tournament teams. I think SC's body of work is better, but... If you have these these massive scoring droughts, and it's not just a USCASU deal. I mean, all the games over the weekend, we're talking five, six, 11 minutes in some cases, Don. Teams not getting a field goal. 
Yeah, it's it seems like it's more this year. I don't remember talking and hearing about all these scoring droughts and calling games and being the, the stat guy next to me saying, yeah, so-and-so hasn't scored in seven minutes. I mean, it's happening so much more this year than it ever has. And I'm not sure why. Is, are all our teams better defensively this year? Um, it doesn't seem like, you know, there's a drop-off in talent. Is there a drop-off in shooting? I mean, maybe that is. We'd have to really go through the numbers. Is, is the new three-point line to blame for some of that? Maybe it is. Um, but it, it certainly is a little bit abnormal, um, or, or at least more so this year than in years past. But in terms of SC, they're just a micro – that game, Yam, that you just said, that the Arizona State game – is a microcosm of this bigger picture we've been talking about during this entire podcast. It's inconsistency in effort, in concentration, in attention to detail, into is the game really all that important to you? I don't know what what it is, but you see it one game to the next. You see it one half to the next. And I'm not sure what the deal is, but the, the team that can get consistently consistent is the team that's going to go on a run and get into the NCAA tournament and or win the regular season title. All right. I, I know we got your story coming up here in a couple of minutes, not to mention we're going to dissect one player, Trace Tinkle, uh, and his opportunity to play in the NBA coming up here. Um, I, I just want to give love to two two individuals real quick or a kind of a team. Do it. Cal, big picture, and I know – once again, it wasn't a great performance against Utah. I, there's just something about Matt Bradley. I just, I just at least want to throw his name out there and what he's been able to do. Um, it, to me, has been impressive, and it, and it was, it was a tough loss against Colorado the other day. And I know he was limited uh, in that first half at times, but he did have 17 against them. But really, the other guy, C.J. Ellaby, uh, just mm-hmm. man. If you would have told me Washington be sitting at the bottom of the conference. And with guys like McDaniels and Stewart, Kyle Smith has that team in a lot of ways playing unbelievable basketball at home. But LB goes for career high 34, highest scoring total in an Apple Cup game. You got to go back to when Clay Thompson was rocking that uniform. He had 41 in that matchup. Mm-hmm. LB and Don, you and I have talked about, and, and you specifically broken his game down um, and his chances of being a pro. He's consistently just getting better as the season's gone on. Even from last year, it just every time I watch him on the floor, I'm like, damn, this guy does a little bit of everything, and he does some things really well. Well, here's what I liked last year. I liked as a freshman, he had an edge to him. He wasn't afraid to go at people. He wasn't afraid to take tough shots. He wasn't afraid of the moment. And I think what's happened this year is the way Kyle Smith wants to play, um, they get it up early in the clock, and there is no – there is no um, red lights. It's all green lights. And so I think what's happened with Ellaby is he's got more freedom offensively. And not that he didn't have freedom under Ernie Kent, but I just think now with a year under his belt, the confidence he got from playing so well last year that he's, he's to me, watching, and I watched that game yesterday against Washington. To me, he's just playing, he's playing at a great speed. And you can tell he's got a ton of confidence going. And when he gets that three ball going, he's tough to deal with. And he got it going early against Washington yesterday, and you see the result. He ends up with 34. Washington State, UCLA. Uh, it will be on Pac-12 Network at 8 p.m. on Thursday. I have that game and Thursday. you do have that one. So uh, that one actually becomes kind of a sneaky good game. I just want to see if Kyle Smith's squad can get it done on the road, which has been a little bit of an issue at times for them this year. 
Story time with Don McClain. All right, Don, so with that voice, that means it's time for your story. So what do you got for me this week? Well, I haven't broken out the soapbox much this year in games. I've kind of gotten away from that, but I feel like it's time. I've heard too much this season, and, and it culminated this weekend in Corvallis where I talked to one coach and then coaching one team and then go, go across the court to an assistant coach who's coaching the other team, and they say basically the exact same thing. And it got me thinking about what we've been talking about during this whole podcast is, you know, the inconsistency of effort, the inconsistency of attention to detail, the inconsistency of one practice to the next, which leads to inconsistency of one of the one game to the next. And and it just got me thinking when I was on my way back to to Portland on Saturday night, I was thinking the whole time about just how important is it to these players these days in their performance? Are you more concerned about wearing two different color shoes? Are you more concerned about your hair because Instagram and social media is so popular? How important is it for you to play well every game, not some games? And how important is it for you to have a consistent effort every game? And I started thinking back to when I played, and we're going to have Trace Tinkle on tomorrow and talk to him about this exact same thing. You know, the reason I'm the all-time leading scorer in the conference, GM, isn't because I was the best player that ever played in this conference, not even close, but it was that I was consistent my entire four years. There wasn't a game, and we, and I think we talked about it a little bit last year, my mental preparation that started the day before four games, and I just think that's gotten completely lost, and I just wonder if guys would spend more time getting ready to play, getting ready to practice if it were more important to them instead of other things being more important, like who, how many followers they have or whatever else goes on on social media. And I, and this is the part of the story that will tell you how much it meant to me at UCLA when I played. Um, there was multiple times, and Mark Dillon's the great SID at UCLA was there, and I drove him crazy with a lot of stuff. But one of them was this. Whenever I didn't play well or we lost a game we shouldn't have lost, I would change out of my uniform um, jersey, put on a T-shirt, and go straight to the weight room with our strength coach, Bob Alejo, who I talked about earlier in the year. And, and I would lift. I wouldn't talk to the media. My family and friends that came to the game were all out on the court waiting for me. I was so mad that I went straight to the weight room. Because that's how much it meant to me. And most of these guys have two points. They go out and get, get with their friends and like the game never even happened. And it's sad because you only get, you only play in college once and your college resume stands forever. And if you let games go or took games off or didn't care and it wasn't that important to you, you'll look back on it and it, and you'll be like, man, I wish I had done more, man. I wish I had practiced harder, man. I wish I had paid attention to the scouting report more. Because, again, you only get one chance at it, and that's how much it meant to me. And what's funny is by my junior year, like my family and friends that, mo- you know, most of the same people came to all the games, right? They, they, were, they were started taking bets on whether or not I would come out based on how the game went, like if we lost. So they started, they started betting amongst themselves on whether I was in the weight room or I was actually going to come out on the court after. I don't know if it's a generational deal. But I feel like in this era, and I'm not just talking about younger players. I just mean people living right now. 
Don, I feel like you hear more about the mental side of things and, you know, the breathing exercises and, and, you know, visualization and those types of deals. Was that, was that a thing when you were playing? I think it was a thing for me, Yam, but it wasn't detailed yet. Like it wasn't a thing, but it was my thing. If you know what I mean? Like, like I, I did visualization based on who we were playing and who I was going to be playing against, but it wasn't called visual visualization at that point. You know what I'm saying? And like breathing, did I do breathing exercises? No, but like I probably did some sort of breathing like, and didn't even know about it because it wasn't, it wasn't a thing yet, but my mental approach. And and that's the one thing I'm, I'm proud of Yam is the consistency with which, you know, I played every night. Now, some games I made a lot of shots and scored a lot of points. Some games I didn't, but I came to play every night and you can ask any of my teammates that I played with that they knew that what they were getting from me every night. And and I'm proud of that. And you know what it got me? The all-time scoring mark because I was just consistent from day one. I mean, I never averaged more than 23 points a game in a season, but yet scored more points than anybody in the conference because it was 20 every night, not some nights, every night. 2608. I'm actually looking at uh, the top 10 right in front of me. Don McLean. You want to hear a funny story about yeah. about um, Tinkle passing Reggie Miller and Capono? Yeah. What do you so got? they're tied, right? They're third all time at UCLA and they're what, eighth and ninth or ninth in. in uh, Pac- yeah, they're both tied for ninth, basically, right. Reggie. And, and so Capone. here's a funny story about that. So I was doing UCLA radio at the time in the Pac 10 tournament at the time, Capono's last game because UCLA didn't make the tournament that year. His last game, Pac-10 tournament, he tied Reggie Miller in the first half, did not score a point in the second half. Wow. Or he would have been above him. What was the deal in the second half? He just didn't score. They didn't take him out. He played. He just didn't score. How crazy is that? Do you think he was aware that he tied Reggie? I don't know. I, I, I think if he knew... He probably would have just found a way to oh, yeah. get himself to the free throw line or something. Just get one. So he must have not known. But I, I, I remember doing the game, and after the game, I'm like, wait a second. He didn't score in the second half, so, so they're still tied. Yeah. Everybody assumed he was passing Reggie Miller, and he never passed him. No, they both said 2,095 points. The player who just passed both of those guys is Trace Tinkle. From the Pac-12 to the NBA. So let's talk about Trace Tinkle Yam as an NBA player. I think we did last year, but it's 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 worth revisiting based on the fact that he's he's passing all these guys that were NBA players, how many points he scored, all the accolades he's gonna get. And and I'm sure a lot of people are sitting there saying, Well, if he's scoring two thousand points at Oregon State, he's gotta be an NBA player. You know, the the problem for Trace Tinkle is he's not a great athlete. He's a very, very, very good basketball player, but he's not a great athlete. And when you start talking about NBA players, the measurables are way more of a factor when you make the jump from college to the NBA versus high school to college. And so he's fighting an uphill battle with his lateral quickness, his jumping ability. Um, He's a pretty strong kid, um, but it's really more about the burst um, or lack thereof the speed, those types of things. So what he's going to have to do, and I think, and I'm wondering, you know, if if this has been a thing for him last year. He, he put his name in, in the draft last year, got feedback, and one of the things that was said to him is he needs to become a better three-point shooter. 
And I would take it one step further. Like if he's going to play in the NBA, he's going to have to be a plus one three-point shooter to make up for his lack of physical ability. Like he's going to have to become one of those guys where if he's open, it goes in. That's the only way he's going to get there. And I'm pretty sure that's what the NBA was getting at with that feedback is, you know, he's, he's, I would call him an okay college three-point shooter. He can't even be an okay NBA three-point shooter. He's going to have to be a really, really good one. So hopefully he's getting to work on that. He's, he's, he's had a bit of a struggle this year with it. I wonder if he's putting pressure on himself to make more, maybe that, the, the three-point line moving back has hurt him a little bit. But he's a great kid. He's a hard worker, and that matters in this day and age. You know, you see teams don't want to deal with knuckleheads that think they're superstars for their, you know, 12 through 15 on their roster. So I think he, from that standpoint, he gives himself a chance. And now it's really just up to him to become a knockdown three-point shooter, and that's going to take a lot of time. And when he goes through the pre-draft process, he is going to have to prove to these teams that he can that he can be or he can become a really good NBA three-point shooter and I think that that would make up for some of his deficiencies athletically. Is there a comp that you can think of? There's a great comp for him and if he could become this guy, he would be in the NBA. Joe Ingles from the Jazz. Oh, yeah. Lefty, same size. Ingles not a great athlete either. Um what Ingles became he wasn't initially, remember, he got cut by a few teams and then found a home in Utah, is he became a really good positional defender. Like, he figured out how to play NBA defense individually without great athleticism, but he is a plus-one shooter all day long. Like, you give Ingles an inch, it's going in. So that that is a perfect comp for Trace Tinkle as Joe Ingles. Well, there's a reason why you brought him up. Number one, you just saw him and his team get a win in Corvallis against their rival. Three consecutive wins right now for Oregon State against Oregon. Last time that's happened, you got to go back to the to the early to mid-90s. Uh, Tinkle, now eighth all-time on the scoring list in conference history in 88 consecutive games now. That's He's impressive. in double figures. Longest Think about streak, that. Yeah. 88 straight, Yam, with double figures. And you could say, okay, well, they run the offense through them a lot. I mean, no, you got you to gotta get double figures 88 games in a row. I mean, that is – I never did that. Put Long, it that way. Longest active streak in Division One history. And by the way, kudos to him. Actually, uh, the other day I saw the news come out. He was one of 10 finalists named for the Julia Serving Small Forward uh, of the Year of Award. So um, system, I think that was like a week ago when they announced that. So congratulations to Trace. I think you and I both think that he's got a great opportunity to play at the next level. He's also going to be a guest on this podcast. That episode is going to drop tomorrow. So every Wednesday, Don and I get an opportunity to talk to a, a student athlete or a special guest or a coach that will stop by. So usually we, we can hang out for about 30 minutes with those guests. And that actually happened with Trace Tinkle. I want you to take a little bit of a snapshot of that interview. I think early on, I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, people always say, are you sure you can play with your dad? And, you know, he's, he's a pretty tough dude, pretty old school. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I've grown up with him. It's, you know, no big deal. But um, my first couple of weeks uh, into my freshman year and, you know, I mean, he was just, he was super competitive, and, you know, ultra aggressive. And I was just like, oh, wow, you know, I'm, you know, kind of hit me out of nowhere. And, you know, he wasn't afraid to get on me and, you know, he's going to show that, because I'm his son, nothing was going to be handed to me. I had to work for everything, and 
I think at the end of the day that, you know, got a lot of respect from my teammates and then, uh, you know, just made me uh, tougher mentally. You know, we're still going to maybe bump heads at times, but it's nothing but respect. And it's just, you know, we're both, we're both very competitive people. But as I look back at it, you know, it's, it's awesome to, you know, win a big game and, you know, have each other right there by each other's sides. And, um, you know, no one really ever gets to go to work with their dad every single day. So it's a very special opportunity. Don, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, an eye-opening conversation with Trace. Uh, just even hearing him talk about playing for his dad, I think a lot of times we think how much fun that must be. And, and over the years, I mean, Wayne has told the story about how he got the news and heard the news that Trace had decided to go and play for him. That to hear and look, everyone, you want to check out that interview. But if you're an Oregon State fan, believe me, if you're already probably a fan of Trace Tinkle after listening to that interview, Don, be patient. Yeah. They're going to be going nuts. Well, I feel like, yeah, I say this every week, but it's really true. Why I love doing this podcast so much is that we have time. And like, I was so happy that Trace, I mean, he's been asked about that a million times since yeah. he's been at Oregon State about playing for his dad. And that's what I love about being on a podcast is you can go deeper and you can spend time and he can really explain and talk about what it's been like. And he, he was re- very honest and, and very informative really about his time at Oregon State but especially playing for his dad and still an opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament with those four Q1 wins and a net ranking of 67 and more importantly plenty of opportunity Thursday Pac-12 Network got you covered the pregame show starts at 5 30 p.m. Pacific time Utah and Oregon State yes you'll be able to watch uh, the Beavs in that one Uh, got you covered for that and Washington State and UCLA doubleheader action Don uh, let us know he's going to be on the call for that one at 8 p.m. Pacific time. If you are a fan of the chaos that is also occurring on the women's side, uh, <laughs> got some really, really good results. Uh, Adia Barnes in Arizona continues to roll. Got a win in Corvallis against uh, Oregon State. That was a hell of a basketball game uh, on Sunday. Ashley Adamson, Mary Murphy have you covered on the Inside Pac-12 Women's Basketball Podcast. Highly encourage everyone. It does help out our metrics, Don and I and Ari, who's been working on the show with us. Uh, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any episodes. And of course, if you can rate, review, share it on social media, that would be greatly appreciated. But we will see you Thursday night at 530 on Pac-12 Network.